and brightest day and blackest night. All other podcasts tremble in fright. Losers cower before the power. Oranges lust and blues you can trust. Indigos feel and white ones heal. Yellow scare and green ones dare. That sapphire love and black hands glove will rock your foundation without hesitation. Chad and Mars face evil's minds. Respect their power for they'll make you see the light. Hi, everybody. I'm Chad Bokelman. I'm Dan Kurtzke. And I'm Mark Marble. And this is the Lantern Cast. Episode 457. Woohoo! <laughs> you did it this time. <laughs> oh man. Uh yeah, we are talking about Green Lantern number seven from the Jeffrey Thorne run. Uh titled Kilowog's Last Stand. I get no preamble, guys. Let's just get right into it. All right, so Green Lantern number seven, <laughs> written by Jeffrey Thorne, art by Tom Rainey and Marco Santucci with Randy Owens on finishes, colors by Mike Atya, and letters by Rob Lay. So Lonar transports John billions of years into the past to witness the first encounter between the Guardians of Oa and the New Gods. The Owens are in- intervening in a battle between Apocalypse and New Genesis because they believe all New Gods are chaotic beings of magic that must be erased. Ganthet even brought that uh, that same weapon that was unleashed on Oa in the first issue of the series. But Highfather tries to reason with him, leaving them all open to a sneak attack from Uxus, the dude who would someday be Darkseid. John, meanwhile, isn't having any of this. Not only does he have no idea why Lonar brought him here, but they're witnessing past events that never happened. Nothing like this has ever been recorded in the Book of Oa, and Lonar is just talking around his questions instead of giving him answers. Regardless, John can't sit there and watch as the Guardians and New Gods get mowed down. So he punches the soon-to-be dark side in the face before getting shot with a godkiller weapon. But instead of dying, John's body is transformed into a being made of green energy, as if his physical form was burned away by the blast and this was underneath. When Lonar brings them back to the present, John seems whole again and is wearing a new lantern-esque costume with bright green power radiating from his chest and eyes. He asks Lonar what this is, and Lonar responds that it's evolution, and yours has waited far too long. Uh, Over in the second half of the issue, Joe gets Simon and Kelly safely back aboard the United Planets cruiser so they can head back to Oa. Simon was able to confirm that the yellow lantern he dealt with on New Korrigar was Jessica Cruz, a fact that Joe wants to keep from the rest of the United Planets since the situation is tense enough as it is. Amira Kalan, the Thanagarian captain of the United Planets Brigade, is eager to prove that her forces can do the Green Lantern's job better than the Lanterns ever could, and she remains fairly hostile to any Lanterns trying to undermine her authority. The only thing that keeps this tenuous working relationship alive is Joe's status as the de facto representative of Oa on the United Planets Council. Joe and Simon get messages from Oa. Uh, you know, Ayalande and a few other recovered lanterns want to know what's going on so they can help. And Counselor, Counselor Fell managed to 
restore several of the Guardian's archives and found some disturbing information that may explain what happened to the central battery, but she doesn't want to risk discussing it over a comm signal that someone could intercept. But all that will have to wait because the doctors helping Kelly tried to remove the gauntlet and all hell broke loose. The entire ship is flooded with constructs of Kelly's friends from Young Justice. As Joe and Simon fight their way to the med bay, they notice that none of the constructs seem to be affecting Simon. And that's because out of everyone Kelly's lost, Simon is the only person she was able to actually save. So her constructs, they they basically don't want to hurt him. He gets to her hospital bed and calms her down. And we end on a t- the title Deus Novus Viarum, which is Latin. And I kept getting different translations for it. You know, God is new and varied. God is new ways. Like Deus Novus is literally new God. And I think that's kind of appropriate. And Varum can translate to roads. So I think the title might be something closer to Path of the New God. That's the issue. Ta-da! Nice job. Nice and succinct. I think this might be my favorite issue since Tom Rainey took over the art. You mean art-wise or overall? Overall. Wow. I, well, I mean, my favorite issue, like, so I still, I still would put issue one at the top and probably two as a very close second. But this, this might, you know, of of the other stuff after issue two, this is my probably my favorite issue of 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 all that. So I guess my third favorite overall of the series thus far. Nice. It's definitely a lot better than last issue (laughs) yes yes this is this is probably i would say this might be my second favorite issue also uh even though of course the cover has absolutely nothing to do with anything yeah kilowog's last stand is kilowog's not even in the book is he no no i didn't didn't think so uh it's it's funny if you like i feel like every month jeffrey thorne has to talk about this online somewhere he's like like he doesn't have any input into the covers and is constantly telling people, look, the covers, they're 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 tonal. They're they're not a snapshot of the story inside. Just just they don't ask me about the covers. Just leave me alone. <laughs> <laughs> Which I, I, I think I might have started the last the last round of rumors <laughs> regards to issue seven. <laughs> yeah. I told you that meant nothing. <laughs> yeah. it, it was a non starter. If this this issue is actually the relevance in this issue for me is I actually like the first part more than I like the second part. Agreed. <laughs> the John Stewart part was interesting, mostly because again it had to do with the Guardians and the and and their seemingly their role with the new gods and everything else in the past, things that we didn't know about, which is the theme in that whole first part of the the issue is the thing John not knowing about what he is, the, him not knowing about the, what the Guardians have done in the past. It's all about unknown quantities there. So that definitely was the stuff in the second half of the book. It was, yeah, I mean, that's pushing it. I mean, I I thought the art was, I didn't like the art for most of the second half either, except for that first splash page of Joe. I thought that was really cool and that looked good, but I think it went steadily downhill after, once you get past the Jessica Cruz, which again is 98.9% sure it's Jessica Cruz. Nice, nice analyzing. (laughs) It's like, come on. But the rest, yeah, I didn't think the art was that good. Simon looks like crap. But just, you know, I don't like Simon, so it's not like I'm heartbroken that he looks like crap. But it's yeah, the the second part just does nothing for me in this in this story. I really don't care about the Kelly stuff, the gauntlet and what the power of the gauntlet is intriguing. But that's but that's about it is in a way it it almost seemed like filler on so many levels that this part seemed filler, just like the John Stewart part, I think, to a lot seemed like filler, maybe in the last issue or two. 
it does seem it's dragging. I, the story is kind of dragging more than it should, even though at least since the John Stewart part is in theory, the stuff we're really supposed to care about more than anything, he's supposed to be the lead in this book. At least the fact that that part was interesting for a change is, was a plus. Well, I think the, the thing that's weighing down the back half, the Joe half, is that as far as we know, the trip to Korrigar isn't very consequential unless it's supposed to be like like the way that Jessica stopped Kelly is going to stir something that comes out later or something like that. Because it seems like they were on Oa, then they had to leave Oa for like a couple issues, and now they're going back to Oa because that's where somebody else found the relevant plot information. So it's like it's like we're watching this half of the story be on like a weird kind of side detour that may not actually directly influence the important stuff. Hmm. Yeah. Um, I mean, Joe, I do, Joe did point out like, okay, look, we, we eliminated Sinestro as a, a possible culprit for what happened to, to the battery. So I guess that's, I guess that's forward progress, but I kind of never thought he had anything to do with it anyway, so I don't know. Yeah, it's six of one, half dozen of the other, because I, I agree with you in that sense. It, it seems like uh, you're asking yourself, well, why did we go there? But at the same time, any good sort of detective procedural, you line up your list of suspects and interview them. Whether or not that interview pans out or anything, you still have to eliminate the suspects. You have to interview them and go through that process of gathering evidence and stuff. Personally, thinking in terms of stuff that I've recently watched, I'm just thinking of like Lucifer. You know, it may not go anywhere to interview some random subject, but it's it's part of the process that needs to be done. So I might, I just hope that that a consequence of them going there means that the Sinestro Corps is going to have a meaningful part to play in the story a few issues from now. And that it wasn't just, it was, I, I hope this wasn't just a random side quest just to include the yellow lanterns because the yellow lanterns are cool. Even though I like seeing the yellow lanterns, even if it's because they're cool, but it's like, I don't know. My expectations are different when you're telling like an ongoing mystery that we're supposed to be trying to unravel. I'm very uh, curious if we're going to get more sort of suspect elimination stuff, in which case uh, I wonder how the confrontation with Atrocitus will go. Yeah. I've been assuming that we're, we're going to watch Joe and Simon and Kelly just work down that entire list, but solicitations make it sound like we're going to be getting the answers in like an issue or two. (laughs) So maybe not. Yeah. Uh, so I know that we historically said, you know, new gods aren't really something we care too much about. And I, I still hold to that. But I do. One of the things I've talked about on this show, and I've actually spoken to like some of the people around my my local comic shop because I got, you know, I'm getting in the habit of hanging out there, getting uh, to be good friends with the people who own the place and stuff. So one time I was hanging out over there and uh, I was talking about how, you know, really none of the recent arcs of Green Lantern from many of the different creators we've had since John's have sort of grasped me. And, and, you know, in one way or another, it's not giving me something I, I would look for. And, and I, you know, but they asked me, well, what, what would you want to see? And I said, you know, what's a story arc you'd like to see told. And I said, I know we sort of got maybe snippets of it during around like the lights out, 
sort of in the the uh, I forget what the New Gods arc story was called. Maybe it was just New Godhead. Gods. Godhead. There you go. Um, but I feel like you know we never really got the story of why the Guardians don't get involved in the conflict between New Genesis and Apocalypse. I mean, we've we've sort of danced around that before. We've sort of talked a bit about the relationship between Oa and all of that, but never like what's why don't the Guardians who believe that they have this sort of right to police the universe ever step in and just take care of Darkseid? You know, like wh- why don't they involve themselves in this? So we sort of just Jeffrey Thorne was like sort of like, all right, here we go. Here's the answer. So I'm I'm really glad that somebody's doing something with that artistically again not my favorite i think i think i'm starting to 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 see my one of my problems here and it's just like the heads the size of the heads in comparison to the rest of the bodies are often very strange to me uh and some of the facial expressions when they are intended to look either like intense or menacing just come off comical like uh that first time we see uh negra uh she she's supposed to look at, you know, like this queen of apocalypse, terrifying, whatever woman, but she just looks comical to me, like a zany Joker smile sort of thing, as opposed to anything sinister in any way. The same with the man who would be dark side uh, <laughs> sort of a thing. So that that sort of bugs me. But, you know, the fact that we're diving into this uh, and and the information that gets revealed here is is enough to capture my attention, you know, and, and I think that's, that's the mark of really any good storytelling too, is this, if, if there's a half of the story you don't particularly enjoy, such as in my case, the art, but it, it captivates my attention so that I end up still liking it and very curious about where we're going. Then the story did more than its job uh, for at least that particular issue or that particular segment. And I feel like that's why I've elevated this issue to be one of my favorites is we know, you know, that I really don't like the art in this, but I'm I'm really curious about what the hell is happening here. And I did like the way in which it was told. Um, so I'm very curious as to, to where we're going. The whole time travel aspect is interesting to me. I like it's it's explained in an almost nonsensical way, you know, like they're not viewing the past in terms of like from a dream state but also lonar seems to in seems to say here that they're not directly interacting with it so like i'm just very confused as to like wait did these events happen it's like how how is it did he really punch dark side is if he talks to ganthet about this someday is ganthet gonna remember this like but uh it, it it, it, it takes place in this sort of revelatory but still mysterious way that I thought was very interesting. And the use of these various constructs, the yellow, the green, and the sapphire, are interesting to me as well. Yeah, this is, I guess this is at a time when the Guardians are still experimenting with the spectrum. They hadn't settled on one. I've, at some point, God, I've been meaning to try and put together a timeline of these jerks and their history because every writer without fail every writer to come on to green lantern in the last 10 or 20 years has retconned in a new thing like big influential thing the guardians have done in their history like a million years ago and i don't know that they all work together (laughs) mosaic comics on youtube Uh, look forward to that future uh episode i want so badly to do a video about how the guardians are a confusing mess but uh, that the 
I would have to do nothing else for like six months. <laughs> yeah. Speaking speaking to the constructs that I brought up, do you think that that means too that Apocalypse and or New New Genesis or both are doing what the what the Guardians are doing here? Because Ganthet says you draw metaphysical energy from sentience in our space. But before they create these constructs or whatever around them, they use these little guns to analyze all of these creatures and what they're doing. So are they pulling from the emotional spectrum in some way? Or is that well, not th- what he means? Well, I think I think the new gods, the, as at least as I understand it, because the new gods are largely a blind spot for me too, but... As far as I'm aware, the new gods have always worked in the way that like like their existence and power is based on essentially collective belief. It's kind of the same way that magic works in the DC universe, where if enough people believe in something, it happens somewhere. And like so, uh, you know, how powerful someone like Darkseid is, is directly proportional to how many people worship slash believe in Darkseid, you know, that kind of thing. And I think they they touch on they talk on that a little bit in this issue about how, like, you know, High Father's like, we take nothing that's not freely given. It's 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 the whole like it's a whole play on the idea of how faith interacts with deities and how can they turn that into like an actual transactional ex- explanation for the existence of these beings as characters in this universe. Yeah, my mind was taking it weird places too. Like Apocalypse and New Genesis are both in different ways obsessed with the source, guardians of it or wanting to control it or whatever what have you. But we learned obviously in Lights Out that the emotional spectrum in some way, whether we actually agree with this as fans or not, it's neither here nor there. But uh, it is in some way tied to the source and fueling it and things. So do the new gods get their power from the source? Do Does that somehow then tie in with their emotional spectrum usage if they are indeed using it? You know, uh, And how does the White Lantern fit in with that? And is the yeah, White does, Lantern different from the life equation? And yeah, does, uh, does, does, does faith and emotion somehow pour into the wellspring that is the source and then is distributed from the source outwards to other places such as the new gods? I, like I don't know. Like, and just, are some of these just different names for the same thing? Like, yeah, I, exactly. I, <laughs> I mean, I would like very much for Jeffrey Thorne to try and answer some or all of these questions because, like, I'll take any of them. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and maybe he will because he's, you know, some of the questions we've come up with in various other reviews, he's he's answered in the next issue or two. So, uh, I'm really hoping, I'm really hoping that John exiting this moment doesn't mean this is the last we see of this moment. Oh, I can't. I think this, I think, I think the fact that Lonar took him on a time travel day trip is going to be pivotal to how the story connects itself. (laughs) Whether, like, uh, even if it just comes down to meeting a guardian in the present day and talking to them about it, because, like, Ganthet is there. Like, there's, there's guardians in this, in this uh, group that are the ones we know today. I mean, I think he named he name drops Appa Aliopsa in there too. But like, there's yeah. I think I, we're not done with this moment. I don't think. Well, I don't think that we're done with this interaction. I'm concerned we're done with this moment. Hmm. 
I think the the confrontation here, the lessons learned here will probably I think what Lonar's might be doing is we might be time hopping through the sequence of events, but what I was referring to is, is this moment. I I'm sure the stuff, you know, the guardians will have learned and blah, blah, blah from this confrontation. What, what happens is stuff. I, I wanted to live some more in the actual moment of this happening. So I really like the fact that at this point, the guardians are dressed like Manhunters. Yeah. And they're even using like the green pistols the Manhunters will eventually have. Like, like you get the, like, yeah, it's a little detail that I've never seen before, but I really like the idea that when they decide to build their first army, they, they literally designed it after themselves. Right down, right down to the freaking, like, this is why Manhunters have blue faces because they, they wear this, it is this costume design with this weapon and a blue face showing. Hmm. I don't it's know interesting the... to me too. Oh, I'm sorry. Go okay, ahead. You go. Uh, the, I mean, the only other thing I was going to say, it's interesting to me too, that this weapon that uh, the man who will be dark side is using functions like his Omega beams. So I'm wondering how now I'm wondering how dark side got his Omega beams. <laughs> yeah. I forget. God, I, I, there was some version of his origin story at one point that said like he killed his dad and absorbed his dad's power and also his brother too or something and all that together gave him the omega force or something like that mm. yeah, anyways go ahead mark i was gonna say while it's nice to see ganther with the ponytail again they are a little once again inconsistent about the ponytail <laughs> it's like oh back in the day he didn't wear the ponytail like he was not supposed to be wearing the ponytail until more of the emerald twilight-esque time frame or post emerald twilight so th- there's a little inconsistency in the history of drawing in with the ponytail. I'm willing to let it go because it is a good look for him. But but we do know there's a, there's a whole lot of inconsistency when it comes to Ganthet, whether whether he has it, whether he doesn't. At least it makes him stand out. So that's probably the main reason they did it. Yeah. What do we think of John's new suit? Mm-hmm. I'm trying to think what it reminded me of. It's a little like it's a, it's like a little ion esque. Mm-hmm. A little Metroni too, it looks like. Yeah, it's it's the this page the reveal of like that last panel of this made me realize like something that I don't think this run has done at all is like like a big full page splash or like a big page turn reveal kind of thing. Because like any I feel like in any other book that this moment would be like and here we're unveiling the new John Stewart appearance, but it's like. It's just the last panel of the story. That's a good point. Yeah, I would say this is probably close to Ion. I'm looking up various images on Google of various incarnations of, of suits. It's it's pretty close to Ion. That's the closest I think the suit has ever come to like just being more circle than actual symbol. Mm-hmm. Almost any incarnation of Ion, whether it was towards the beginning, the first time we saw Ion, or later on when we like the 12-issue Ion run. No, I mean, I think I, I think just uh, overall, I enjoyed it. Uh, you know, art notwithstanding, I, that that splash of Joe uh, is and that that first page of of that section of the story is really cool looking. Really oh yeah, looking. you're right. They they literally did the thing that I was just saying they don't do one page later. <laughs> that is a great page though. It is. It's un- just unfortunate the art in the second half of the book kind of like goes downhill from there quickly. Um, at least with some characters. 
Thanagarians are okay, but you know, Joey starts looking weird. Simon starts looking weird. But when they had the hol- you know, when they have the holograms come in, the the, the that the te- the communications that that's that's pretty well drawn too. I really want Joe to do a power check at some point because I'm curious. <laughs> yeah, I do like I do like uh, that we see Iolande, we see Badge. I forget this other lantern's name. I should know it at this point. Wearing like jeans. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, 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 <laughs> who in the burning sea is Sojourner Mullen? <laughs> uh, and then Badge. I like Badge being the one to address Simon because of their, uh, you know, interactions when we first saw Simon. <laughs> and I do like the sort of ending there was like, you know, you know, Many injured, many dead. We are not injured. We wish to be useful. We are still green, you know. That was cool. I don't think I've ever brought it up before, but I really like the fact that Counselor Fell has these tiny little brainiac skull ships as her like her little helper buddies. <laughs> They're so cute. Like little drones, but they look like mini brainiac ships, yeah. They're like if you shrunk down Brainiac's ship and put googly eyes on it. <laughs> <sighs> yeah. For sure. Uh, so, question I have: We are we are probably going to start getting actual answers to things in both halves of the story within the next issue or two. So, does anybody have any like like pie in the sky predictions or th- crazy theories? Because I do, <laughs> and I want to hear from you guys first. <laughs> oh God. That's a mm. good question. See, what I'm trying to figure out, though, is – so the, to answer your question, no. But in a way, I'm trying to figure out, is there any connection between the two halves of the story? Because the battery doing what it did suddenly out of nowhere uh, is this mystery we're following. But also this section of space that the Guardians suddenly aren't able to penetrate also seems to have come out of nowhere. So are the two linked in some way? And in what ways are they linked? Did, did, did these uh, beings that we're dealing with over, uh, what were they called? The, the angels or whatever they are that we saw last issue? Do we remember what they were called? You don't mean the light bringers. You mean something else, right? No, no, the light bringers. I guess that's them, right? I think the light bringer is their boss. I, I don't remember what the angels are called. Okay. So is that in some way connected to this space-time tour that Lonar is taking them on, and, and how is it connected? We do see some mention of, I think, we, we did see mention of magic in the first half of the story, right? Yes. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so uh, obviously that's connected, but that was sort of around there when the battery blew up. So the, the, the two being linked are, is not really surprising in terms, of, uh, in terms of that, but I'm wondering if the John half is connected to all of this, too. Or I mean it it's it's possible for two unique things to be happening at once, but you know, unlikely. So my my only my only suspicion is that the two the two are linked somehow in terms of the light bringers and what we're seeing here going on with the battery and the the, the death of the guardians, but I don't know how. I don't see anything thus far that would obviously link the two. Hmm. Maybe some of the weaponry we see in this first half. I don't know. 
All right, so, and I I definitely have some of this wrong because I I can account for new god stuff. Um, so first, let's talk about the barrier surrounding the, surrounding the dark sector, right? That barrier is made of eruptions in the bleed and hyper time. I think the reason John could travel to the past events that never happened is the same reason that events of this series don't line up perfectly with future state. Some of this story takes place in one or more divergent hyper timelines. And just so everyone listening to this podcast is on the same page, because hyper time can be confusing, like the usual mode of alternate timelines is that you have one main timeline that branches off into two divergent ones, two different timelines that both continue on forever. With hyper time, that divergent timeline only goes on for a little while before merging back into the main timeline. At least that's how I think it works. <laughs> hyper time is confusing. But this would also allow Jeffrey Thorne to have it both ways in terms of character deaths. He's said many times now that all these deaths are real and will not be undone. Well, the original purpose of hypertime was to explain inconsistencies in continuity, meaning that if a character dies in a branching hypertimeline, that would not affect the original version of them in the main timeline. So the deaths would be real and permanent. They just wouldn't be for the main versions of those characters. Now, Let's talk about the central battery, because I am 100% certain the battery was taken, and everything we saw up until its supposed destruction was an elaborate heist with the best series of diversions imaginable. It was probably really easy to recruit the Bright Circle, who already hate the Guardians for removing half the magic from the universe, with the promise of getting to remove the Guardian's power from the universe, too. They made it look like an attack meant to unleash monsters and ancient weapons on Oa during the Uni United Planet Summit, when really all the Bright Circle was there to do was distract everybody while opening a magic portal deep within Oa and then leave that door open so later the pieces of the disassembled battery could travel through it, most likely to the Dark Sector. I think there's a good chance that the Lightbringer is a literal name and they brought a central battery full of light into the dark sector. Speaking of the Lightbringer, let's let's really get crazy. Lonar said that John is going to either save the universe or destroy it. I think Lonar said that because with time travel and hyper time at play, there are two versions of John in the dark sector. A version of John that is the Lightbringer and another version of John, presumably the one that we've been following so far, who built the barrier around the Dark Sector to contain the threat posed by his other self. If Joe, a rookie with nothing but on-the-job training, could trap the Sinestro Corps in a construct that bends time and space, then a veteran lantern like John, with the power of a guardian, could build that barrier. Also, the concept of entanglement keeps coming up. And quantum entanglement is this idea based, based entirely on bad Google research I did. Quantum entanglement is the idea that if you have a set of something and you separate them across great distance, a change to one will be reflected in the others. So take the guardians as an example. The guardians are ascended beings who only exist, exist physically by choice. The body of a dead guardian was placed inside the central battery and merged with its energy. The central battery was then violently deconstructed while merged with a guardian, leading to the rest of the guardians suffering in ways that we still don't fully understand. John is a guardian. His ascension was hidden but not undone, so what happened to the guardians should have had some effect on him, except he was sent beyond that barrier before it happened. 
the Guardians took care to make sure he'd be there before it was too late. The Guardians absolutely know exactly what's going on, and they've always known. Also, I think I forgot to write this down, but I think we've seen a retcon to to John's origin story, because unlike someone like Hal, who was chosen by the ring, the Guardians handpicked John because they saw his potential to ascend to be a being like them. I think we just saw a moment where, thanks to time travel, the Guardians literally physically with their eyes saw his potential to evolve into a being like them, which is why they went looking for him millennia later. But there's also there's another kind of entanglement separate from quantum entanglement. And one of its definitions is literally, and I quote, an extensive barrier typically made of interlaced barbed wire and stakes erected to impede enemy soldiers or vehicles. There's an army building inside the dark sector. Entire populations are losing their free will and joining up. That barrier was built to hold them back. And I think John is the one who builds it long before he ever enters in the first place. And I'm not going to drop my mic because my mic is expensive. But there you go. Nicely done. Yeah, I, I, I particularly like the idea of John creating the, the dark sector based on what we saw with Joe, because I was particularly curious and aghast at why in the world she was able to make a construct that specifically did that. Um, that just seems so out of left field that 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 connection being a thing uh, would would help <laughs> alleviate some of my frustration with all of that. <laughs> yes, I yes, and I I I hope it's that that uh you know it's a Chekhov's gun kind of thing. Although it does illustrate, it is one of like two big examples that illustrates a frustration I do have with Jeffrey Thorne's writing in that he'll put something into the story that he thinks makes sense and you think about it and you're like, well, I guess that does make sense. Except why would you introduce it into this particular story like this? Like I, like he, uh, I think we mentioned last time I was on that Jeffrey Thorne's Patreon, he does like annotations, annotated breakdowns of his issues. And when they talked, when he talked about that moment of Joe trapping the Sinestro Corps, he said that like, look, every green lantern, whether they know it or not, learns how to do this it's like one of the first things they learn how to do because the only way you're going to cover that much distance in outer space is by bending time and space around you and it's and it's like oh okay i guess that kind of makes sense but at the same time it's yeah you could you could frame it better in the actual story the it's kind of like you know my big hang up about issue six was the reveal that Lonar was just kind of a shapeshifter for no reason. And his explanation for that was, you know, most mythologies depict gods as being able to shapeshift. So why shouldn't the new gods be able to do that? And I, I'm like, yeah, I guess. But come on, man, you're telling a mystery. You can't do that. <sighs> I talk a lot. I like it. Uh, and yeah, your definition of 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 quantum entanglement is, for for layman's purposes is definitely <laughs> definitely close enough. There's a video out there that I really enjoy. I, you know, I told you guys, I told I've mentioned on the show a couple of times. I've really become interested in physics and stuff. There's a video out there. Uh, it's got 18 million views. I just pulled it up a minute ago. Uh, it's called Parallel Worlds Probably Exist, and here's why. And it's basically all about quantum entanglement 
and the thought experiment of Schrodinger's cat, uh, because Schrodinger's cat is actually misunderstood and misused in terms of layman's terms uh, to, you know, kind of explain thought experiments and how two things can exist at once. Whereas in reality, if you take the, the science behind Schrodinger's cat, it is more aptly described as something that can that can as almost proof uh you know quote as close to proof as we as a thought experiment can get uh as to why parallel realities could be a re, a reality um so I'll, I'll i'll give mark the link and he can link it on our uh on our post about this uh thing if you guys want to learn more about it but um i think it would the only reason I bring it up because it's, it's a random thing to reference is I think it would also help sort of describe to folks some of what the quantum entanglement stuff Dan brings up re- with relation to hypertime and merging timelines and how two things can happen at the same time and everything still be you know, Jeffrey Thorne still being correct in that you know death death counts and stuff because I think with the like particle superposition and things like that. It's, it, it's a, it's a whole thing. I'm, I'm not going to try and act like I have a, a freaking degree in physics over here, but uh, it's a really cool video that I think, you know, while being pretty heady still sort of gets those points across to help sort of understand how those two realities could both be facts and then merge into what we get in story. But regardless, uh, yeah, I, I, I like I like I, your your use of of quantum entanglement really. Rose like, oh, Dan, speaking my language. <laughs> I'm down with this theory. <laughs> yes, and make no mistake, the words I've said on this podcast today are everything I know about those things. So if, if you're in at all interested out there and you're listening to this, you're like, oh, that sounds interesting. Go educate yourself, better yourself, and then teach us because we we would like to know <laughs> <laughs> well for your own reference dan here's here's the link <laughs> oh, neat. uh i'm sure you're going to be going to be preparing a video on uh your theory as well so maybe that'll help uh, yeah, i gotta do that like tomorrow jesus <laughs> <laughs> no but i like it i'm down with it let's 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 go i agree it is now my theory <laughs> Damn it! It was mine. I had it. I, it no, I, mean, away. I, have, I have adopted it, and I there, thereby hope that this is what comes to fruition. <laughs> uh, this this whole story is just going to end with John and that one female guardian from the beginning, just her just like looking at him and smiling and saying like, "See, told you so," or something like that. So I guess the last question: What we see John do here? Um, do we think that is akin to Ion or something more? I, I, I'm assuming we think something more. What do you mean, like the the new state he's in by the end? Yeah, because we've seen lanterns go full green before, and sometimes that means ion, and sometimes that like in the case of the first flight animated feature, you just enter the battery and absorb the energy. Like, I'm I mean I assume this is his guardian status returned. Okay. At the beginning of this, like loners, like like so, how's your memory doing? Because I mean, Sakari poked around in your head and like opened up almost everything so you must feel it right Hmm. i think like i don't i don't know why it had to be this particular time travel trip to get him back to this state but like i i think this book has been leading up to john getting back what he lost after mosaic ended and i think this is that returning 
And I think the final question I'll ask on behalf of the listeners uh, on uh, on page uh, 23 of the story, when Joe uh, saves uh, Simon from the, the the blast that happens, she does so with a construct that she references an anime. Dan, what is this in reference to? I don't know what that is. <laughs> I didn't. I thought that it was. Cause it almost looks like like something from like a weird American cartoon. Like I thought this was like a wuzzle or something, you know. But I don't know. I don't know what that thing is. She is right. Anime millions of people like anime, and so should you. That's almost that's almost a direct quote. Uh, I think Dan has a video out there somewhere about that. <laughs> I'm po- I'm posting a video tomorrow about that. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, did you delete the old video about that? No, no, no. But I decided I should finally do a vid after after my 50th ever Green Lantern video was a major downer. I decided to do one all about how much I love Gurren Lagan and why <laughs> Green Lantern fans should watch it, because it's a Green Lantern anime. I thought you've already done done a video like that. No, no. Well, I made one a long time ago and never posted it. And then I just told you to go watch it. And, uh, and I think it might have been it might have been mentioned in my like my like every everybody born between these years. Yeah. is yeah, actually yeah, an yeah. anime fan. And yeah, yeah that, that's the video I was thinking. of. Yeah. OK, whatever. This one's better. You watch this tomorrow. <laughs> All right. Do we have anything else we want to say about this issue? I don't think so. All right. Listener feedback. Finally. Ken, Laurel, Mark, you're up, guys. <laughs> Which one do we want to do first? Uh, let's do let's do Ken. So I'll read his original email since that's the one that he ended up just forwarding back. Um, hi, guys. I just started listening to your podcast and really appreciate all your videos and honest opinions. Man, Mark has been saying things I've been thinking about for years. Woo! Writers wasting the most interesting thing about Simon with his ring being from Hal and Sinestro. Alan's new sexuality feeling like the only reason DC is using him at all. And in parentheses, I think it's why we haven't seen any real references to his past history with Molly and every second issue having to reference his sexuality. Actually, I think that's more like every first issue. But And Thorne trying to turn Green Lantern into Legion of Superheroes or the Fourth World instead of respecting the characters and mythos. I found myself really agreeing with you, and it's refreshing that you are also a Kyle Rayner fan. Maybe he means you more than me. Not that I'm not a Kyle Rayner fan, but oh, let me stop editorializing. Honestly, don't turn so, don't turn him against you, Mark. I know, don't turn I know. Him I against that probably was a mistake. Edit that out. Honestly, it's sometimes hard for me to listen to the Mosaic Comics guys and even the blog and podcast of Oa sometimes, since I fundamentally disagree with him. I hated the Morrison run, and I'm so tired of seeing new one-dimensional lanterns who are created for diversity, even though human lanterns are already extremely diverse and are then just thrown away for the next one. With Thorne's run, my biggest problem is that it's just so repetitive. After the recent annual, I can't help but see the many similarities to Green Lantern comics of 2015. In both eras, the central power battery is destroyed. Back that up. The central power battery is destroyed slash messed up. The core disappears, dies. John and a group of lanterns are stuck in a mysterious universe and in in time, lost army. A green lantern with a special weapon is trying to solve the mystery of the cores being gone. Hal slash Joe chest uh, slash Kelly. The Sinestro core takes over and for some reason is more trusted than the green lanterns. 
that's not really true right now. A former Green Lantern with an eye tattoo was recruited to the Yellow Lanterns and redefines fear. That was clever, though. I like that one. And Kyle <laughs> and Kyle Rayner is stuck in the Vegas system with no one referencing or caring about him. <laughs> that's also that's there's a good a, point. That's yeah, that's a, that, he was on. He, he has a lot of good points in that one. Also, there's a heavy emphasis on the new gods and how the core is perceived by the rest of the universe. Not to mention the similarities to the smaller details of that era and more recent story arcs like the assassination of a guardian in Jurgen's run or the lanterns having to use rubble instead of their constructs. This combined with extremely slow progression, killing off beloved characters unceremoniously and cheap cliffhangers make me want to quit Green Lantern as a whole. But DC barely believes in the franchise right now, so I don't know what's going to happen if the sales become so low. And they are pretty damn low, already pretty damn low. Honestly, it's disheartening that the writers and editors are just repeating the same thing from only six years ago. I've only been reading Green Lantern monthly for a decade, and this is making me want to quit. If the creators don't care enough for the franchise to, I think it's make it, in, or no, to take it into an interesting, unique direction, why should I care to keep supporting these awful books? I love Green Lantern, but I want a new, whole new creative team for this franchise, including the editors. And the concept of the universe not liking the core has been a constant thing over the last decade that I'm just tired of it almost as much as I'm tired of dark side. We do think a lot alike. On the lighter side, fun side, here's a question for you. What is the third best and third worst eras for Kyle Rayner? For me, the best are Mars, Winnick, and Bedard runs, while the worst is easily the late New Guardians run, the DC Rebirth era, and possibly his Ion series, which I felt was bland. Man, there's a lot to unpack there. Well, he said the three best and three worst, not third. Oh, I said third. Yeah, you said third. Oh, yeah, three best and three worst. Okay. Yeah, there's a lot there. Dan? <laughs> uh, <laughs> no, I can I can jump in since I had the email in front of me. Um, so I I both I both agree and disagree in some sense uh, with the diversity thing. Uh, I think. I, I don't believe that these these characters are created uh, solely for diverse reason, diversity reasons. I think I think it's definitely a factor and the extent to which it is a factor can vary. But I don't believe it's ever done solely for that intent. And to the point of creating one and then discarding it, uh, you know, for another one, I do I do feel like we see that a lot. You know, I think. You know, Dan, you're a big proponent of Simon, but, uh, you know, I think I think we can all agree that regardless of how you feel about Simon, the focus that has been that he has been given has been short shrift at best. Um, You know, the thing I say quite often is we were told he was special several different times for several different reasons, but never spent any significant time explaining how, why why we should care, so on and so forth. And when we started the Green Lanterns series, we made Simon look like an ass to prop Jessica up. And for me personally, that did more damage and to the point where I was like, okay, I guess I'll just care about Jessica. And yes, we got some great characterization moments for Simon, built up his family relationship dynamic, his friendship with Jessica, their pancake obsession, that whole thing. But, you know, I, I still... You know, I, at that by that time, I felt damage done, uh, and which isn't to say that something couldn't come around someday and turn up, turn that on its head. But I do feel like sometimes, you know, we get this new character, 
And all of a sudden, the the most recent other new one we had is like, all right, back on the 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 back pedal, the back burner here, while we focus on this new one, and we don't have enough time because we don't have enough page space, and we don't have enough series to devote to fleshing out these characters. We're going too fast with the creation and not up, not enough with the buildup. Um, so I would agree in in that sense. Um, but I do feel that. So I don't I don't think that Thorne or in the rest of the creative team is doing anything that they're not interested in or, or and or passionate about, which I don't think is his point here is just not interesting to him uh, as well as some other other fans. Nobody nobody comes on a title to destroy it. Nobody comes on a title to make it unsuccessful. You want your book to be successful. You want your run to be long. You don't try to go on and self-sabotage yourself or your audience. It's just all a matter of public perception and how someone interprets it. And for some fans out there, it's great. Some fans out there, it's not. Just in the same way, most everything gets received. I couldn't stand the Morrison run, but there are a lot of people out there who were like, holy shit, this is the best Green Lantern we've had in a long time. So I think that's just kind of the unfortunate swing of comics is everything's going to have people who hate it and people who love it. I don't, I don't know the, the, it's one thing for me to say, you know, I don't like that they're doing the stuff with the new gods, but there's obviously a very specific story I want with the new gods. So it's an odd thing for me to say, I don't like what they're doing with the new gods, unless they're doing what I want them to do with the new gods, in which case that seems, you know, a certain type of way. And I, I do like actually, Personally speaking, I do like the Legion stuff because I'm interested in the Legion. I'm interested in, okay, uh, the Legion future seems to predict or, or, or put us in a situation where the Green Lantern Corps is is dead and gone in most incarnations that we've seen the Legion. So what happened? What was the transition between United Planets and, and Green Lantern rule, quote unquote rule, uh, for lack of a better term? Uh, so that's an interesting concept to me, but Mark doesn't give two wet farts about the Legion. So, you know, is that interesting to him? No. So you have two different viewpoints on this very podcast right then and there. Um, as for the fun lighter side of the three best and three worst, I don't know about three. I don't think I can come up with three off the top of my head. Um, but I do, I do really, obviously I love the ion series um you mentioned that you uh, you uh he he mentioned that he did not like the uh the later half of the new guardians run i think i preferred the later half over the beginning of the new guardians run i thought that was really cool and as far as least favorite of kyle yeah the ion stuff there were moments of the ion series that were interesting but it felt very disjointed i don't think we've covered that on the show dan did we cover did we cover it way back in the day um maybe like the tail end of it because that was coming out right around right, Sinestro it, Corps War. It it um it led in no it um right after Infinite Crisis because he got Ion again in Before the Ranthagar War special where Jade died. Right, but wasn't there an Ion special for Sinestro Corps? There there was. That was when. That was when uh, Sodom Yat had just become Ion and Kyle was in there kind of coaching him. Oh, yeah, that's right. That was also written by Ron Mars because every every time (laughs) Kyle has to be Ion in some or that book, what that issue was written by Ron Mars had Kyle Rayner 
teach Sodom yet how to be Ion, and also they fought Alex Nero or somebody or or a uh, uh, effigy or something. And then the Ion series, Ron Mars writes it again, Kyle's Ion again, and he fights pretty much exclusively the villains Ron Mars created. So there's, hey, there's Alex Nero again, and there's the effigy again, and I think Graven is there at the end. Yeah, I don't know if written by the same guy. I, well, no, actually, so Ron Mars wrote the Ion series, but Judd Winnick is the one who wrote the Ion, the first Ion story. Right. Which oh, I, yeah, the power of Ion. The yeah. power of Ion. So, yeah. I do like Ron's writing, but I felt there was some disjointedness to that Ion series proper. Um, which, which wasn't really his fault. No, for sure. It's not. So I don't know if I can give you a three on either side, but uh, yeah. I, Dan Dan likes it. I did not like the, uh, what's the Tom, is it, the Tom, is it Tom King? He, oh, do you mean Omega Man? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't like Omega Man. It's a very particular flavor. Yeah. You might if you're not really down for that kind of story, then you're not going to there's not yeah. there's not going to be because, you know, like a lot of times superhero stories will ha- will be a mix of a bunch of different things. So, like, if you don't gel with this part, you'll like this other part. This isn't that this is like all in on this one thing. Yeah, it's it's very go broke or go home. But I think that's all I really have to say with that without rambling too long and repeating my own points. I think I'm just like I can't think I can't think of a list of 3 that I would be happy with after this was over. So I'll say I my my least favorite is probably the Ion 12 issue series because like I mean I I haven't reread the Ron Mars Daryl Banks run of Kyle Rayner in a long time, but I distinctly remember feeling like this Ion series was some of the worst Kyle Rayner Mars has ever written. And I understand that it's not entirely his fault. It, it, he had like tons of editorial mandates guiding that book. And like the course clearly changed multiple times during the telling of the story. And at that point he hadn't written Kyle Rayner for a very long time, but the end result was still some very bad Kyle Rayner comics. And, you know, as much as I like the Omega men, the place my mind went first for good Kyle stories that I definitely still really like to this day was the Judd Winnick run. Because between that first Power of Ion storyline and Brothers Keeper, you've got two of the biggest and I, as far as I'm concerned, best Kyle Rayner stories that have been told. And yeah, I, again, I, I haven't reread them in quite a while. So maybe I would look at them differently with fresh eyes, but, uh, yeah, if those are that is the the run or at least the parts of the run that I think of the most fondly. I think Mars obviously for me would be one. Probably overall, Winnick would still probably be number two. And I don't, I really New Guardians is tough because I I can understand why someone didn't like the end of New Guardians because especially based on how the book was started, since the concept was you were you had members of every core working together and, and that kind of got and conceptually that was flushed down the toilet. So because Kyle was literally babysitting the, or guiding the, the literal new guardians. So I, but, but I like that book overall. I don't, but I guess if I had to split it up, I don't, it would be hard to pick, pick which side I like more. So that's, and I, and I would say probably yeah, the, the ion miniseries probably was one of the, one of the low points. I'm just trying to think what else was, there was something, there was another era that I, but I don't know. Again, it probably wasn't an era. 
it probably was, it wasn't an error. So I, I would just say that's that's the close that's the closest thing I can get. Obviously, there were times when Kyle wasn't. The ne- well, the negative aspect of the whole of the back end of the New Guardians run was the whole relationship with Carol. So that's kind of a, a rough spot for me to an eyesore to have to not to try to look beyond. Let's just stick with the good stuff, which is Mars, especially in and then Winnick. And the uh, the comparison between Sorenik and uh, Jessica Cruz was kind of clever. <laughs> Yeah, that was nice. <laughs> that was that was a nice that 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 was a nice touch. There there certainly is no doubt. Generally speaking, there are some fundamental beats that are not on purpose. But if you want to make a case, like you can make a case for almost anything to be objective, that you could try to have connective tissue and say, well, look, this is being repeated. But like but like Chad said, just because you're using the new gods, regardless of how you feel about them, it doesn't mean a story can't possibly be interesting or work. I mean, I think Godhead worked, and I don't. It was longer than it needed to be, but Godhead as a story was surprisingly effective with a surprisingly decent ending, considering that's a rare statement we can make about a Venditti storyline that it ended well. <laughs> so I think that that cannot be overlooked as one of the few sticking of the landings that he's had, certainly over a, for a long arc. Yeah, originality is is kind of the biggest double-edged sword of this current run, because like Thorne is making such a concentrated effort to subvert expectations that he's spending a a very long time build like building it up so that you think the story is going one way when actually it's about something else like we're we're probably going to get next issue the reveal that the battery was actually just teleported somewhere else so actually this is not a story where the central battery explodes but you've spent seven issues and an annual letting everybody believe it's a story where the central battery explodes. So anybody who's tired of that trope isn't going to make it eight issues into your story. And I don't know. I don't know. Like most, obviously I'm people like us are going to stick around to find out regardless, but it's probably a big mistake to assume the average reader would, unless you're banking on enough reader turnover that there'll be people reading this that didn't read those other battery exploding stories and might not even know that the battery exploded before. You know, I think it's, I think it's hard to kind of keep perspective on how many new, new readers there actually are from our position, especially considering that comics, you know, maybe not Green Lantern comics, but comics in general have been selling pretty well lately. (laughs) So I don't know. I don't know if there's, an answer to that, I don't know if there's a way to end the current run that would justify the decisions that were made in the beginning of it, because hindsight's 2020, and I'm sure this will all be different and be perceived different once it's all right there in one big pile that you can read in a day. But as a monthly periodical that has to be good enough to keep you coming back for like a year before you find out what the hell's going on, it was probably a mistake to do it this way. Yeah. There was one other thing I wanted to address in there. You've talked a bit about sometimes how it's hard to watch your content then over on Mosaic comics or listen to blog of OA or podcast of OA talk about some of the stuff that they do. And I sure he, he obviously, he did not mean it as any sort of slight, like I, you know, I just can't do it. Their content's bad or anything. He just disagrees with some of the conclusions we all make. And I think that's totally fair. I think Dan, you'd be the first yeah. to say that too. Um, you know, second, the second reason I enjoy having Dan on the first being that he's my friend and I, I, you know, he's very passionate about this story. Clearly 
So <laughs> it's, it's nice to have that third party on and that passion and stuff on the show. But the second reason I enjoyed having Dan on it for, especially these episodes is it's very, I, f- I find it very hard lately for me to uh, reconcile what we do on the show. And I don't mean that I'm, you know, being burnt out or losing my enjoyment or anything. It's just like, for me, I really, I've really become very um, excited about the uh, outward expansion and reach of the comics industry. Um, not just superhero comics, but every genre seems to be growing, uh, reaching new audiences, new people of different ethnicities, religious backgrounds, sexual orientations. Uh, there's there's a character, regardless of whether it's at DC or Marvel, um, or if it's just some indie title, there's, there's somebody and something being told for everybody. And I'm really liking that the, the community that's being built around this open-mindedness and well as like kind of, you know, bringing new people into this, this industry and becoming passionate about comics for whatever reason, for whatever series that they're interested in. And juxtaposing that against what we do on the show is we don't criticize necessarily the technical aspects, right? You know, when we see something we pointed out artistically or writer or whatever, but when we talk about this content, we talk about it in terms of, I guess the framing would be like the lanternologist thing. Like we talk about it in terms of continuity. We talk about it in terms of, in relation to what we know about the franchise. So how, you know, somebody could tune in and see us, you know, talking negatively about one, one thing or another uh, as being anti-Thorn or, or whatever. It's just, I sometimes have a hard time with that because I don't want to seem like I'm trying to, I guess the term would be maybe gatekeep the character and franchise of Green Lantern. It's, it's, it's sometimes very hard to talk about something in the context of continuity while still trying to advocate that, you know, anybody can come on to any series and, and enjoy it and it'd be open to them for in their own interpretation and things um, while still critiquing it for not following what came before in some weird reason. But I to 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 go back to the the you know the that second reason why I like Dan, having Dan here is because he helps remind for me personally I can only speak to me personally he helps he's kind of like the angel on my shoulder in terms of my Green Lantern fandom it's very easy for me to get caught up in they're not doing this they're not paying attention to this they're not doing blah 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 and it's as a fan it's very easy to me to, for just to spiral down into that and become very frustrated with what is or more often what isn't being done with the character and franchise of green lantern and dan's like you know whether you agree with the light the 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 more positive spin he tends to put on things at least i can hear it (laughs) as a and not get caught in that negative cycle (laughs) nicely put i agree i have one other thought to add to this and you know if if you don't like my content, that's totally fine. That's totally fair. I mean, Green Lantern has been around for over 80 years and it's gone so many places and had so many characters and have been about so many things that my content will never be for everybody. Because, I mean, I, I've said this so many times on my channel that at the end of the day, I think Green Lantern's greatest strength is that. Like, it is that it can be so many different things. And its greatest strength that's made it endure for so long is its diversity. You know, having all these characters allows them to tell stories that wouldn't otherwise fit. 
and the beauty of having so many characters that exist forever is that there's always time to fix them if something goes wrong. You know, you know, going back to our eternal debate about Simon Baz, Chad, like I agree, like there's things about that character that need to be addressed and, and expanded on and possibly corrected. And the answer to that is, but is to use him more is to give him more spot, more spotlight because if they don't use them, if they just wash their hands of them and say, well, that didn't work out, that was dumb, let's go somewhere else, then you're guaranteed to never get anything better out of him. But you use them more, then you have that potential. And, oh, I forgot, I had a really good, I had a point about Kyle Rayner, I forgot about it. It happens. Yeah. All right, if you lost but, the thread, we'll move on. But, but yeah, that's why I would just say, like, you know, no matter... I feel like the key the key to Green Lantern's success is also the thing that pisses off Green Lantern fans the most. And that is that whatever you think of as the defining era of Green Lantern is going to end. And whoever is your Green Lantern is going to sit on the sidelines for a while. But if you stick around long enough, they come back. You know, <laughs> it's funny. I When I, I look back as at Kyle Rayner's time as the only Green Lantern with like such reverence now. But when I was a kid reading it, I loved it, but I always wished other Green Lanterns would show up because it's like, well, isn't it supposed to be, you're telling me there used to be like thousands of these guys and we just have one now. Oh man. So it's like, no matter what, no matter what, like the lantern is always greener on the other side, I guess. I don't know. (laughs) That was lame. I'm sorry. Yeah. Rude. All right. On to the next email. Laurel sent us a nice email. She says, uh, hi, Chad, Mark, and Dan. I'm catching up on some episodes. I'm not sure you've talked at length about what you think about Kelly being in the book. Is she part of the Green Lantern story or does it seem forced? Does the core need a teen perspective? We had that very young girl, so Marley or something like that. That's correct, Laurel. Uh, in previous stories, does Kelly play that same wide-eyed innocent role? And finally, I don't know her background. Is that Hal's discarded gauntlet or something new? Well, we clearly know it's not Hal's gauntlet. She, she, in her first email, by the way, though, she did say, uh, uh, just Chad and Mark, and she was like, then she wrote us another email saying, and Dan too, don't forget, but she mentioned Dan just to <laughs> FYI. She says, please let me add Dan to my salutation. I've really liked his perspectives on the show and would love to hear him answering my questions too. Thank you, Laurel. <laughs> And that's it. He answered your question. <laughs> you got feedback from Dan. So I don't yeah. think I don't think Kelly plays the same Somar Lee role because Somar Lee was like, you know, happy go lucky and thrilled and just like fl- happy to fly through the sky. And I think if you want Kelly in that light, maybe Young Justice is better for you. Um, I'm not saying that she's like that in all of Young Justice, but I think in terms of what we've seen of her thus far in this series. We haven't seen that same wide-eyed, excited about the power sort of a thing. So Young Justice might be better for you. And then plus from those blog posts of Thorns that we've read, it seems like, you know, the background and everything of the power and he's straight up said she's lying. She's a liar, you know, so on and so forth. It seems like there's more of a sinister nature behind her. And then we've seen some of her background portrayed in the story in terms of like her own history um, and it seems like she's got a lot of trauma and stuff. So I don't, I don't think that she plays the same Somar Lee role, but I do think her perspective on things is interesting to have. Yeah. I read that entire young justice run and my takeaway from Kel, 
uh, about Kelly was always, you know, I like her, but I want more. You know, I want to know more about her. We got like that one issue that gave us a partial backstory and that was kind of it. So I'm happy that she's been brought into the Green Lantern book proper because she was always this Green Lantern character that existed out on the fringes and was never kind of addressed in Green Lantern itself. So the fact that, hey, we got this opportunity to bring her in, presumably for a narrative reason... Like, I mean, again, what we what we talked about in the last email about like, like taking forever to get to the point, basically. And it's actually kind of ironic because I thought the biggest problem with having Kelly and Young Justice for so long is that it's an ensemble book filled with main characters. How how are you going to have time to to really focus on this one new character? Then she gets over into Green Lantern, where it's kind of two books about ensemble characters smushed together. (laughs) Um, but yeah, my general, my, I feel like I still only have general feelings about Kelly and that I think I I like her well enough. I'm glad that she's here. I want to learn more about her and they're just taking a very long time to do that. (laughs) So my tip, so my take on this is yes, I think she is, it's being forced, but a lot of the characters that are focused in on are being forced one way or the other, whether it's Thorne, whether it's editorial, whether it's combination of, of the both, but the story and the characters seem to be going hand in hand on as far as one way or the other, one's dictating to the other. Either the characters they want to focus on is ultimately dictating to the story that's being told, or because of the story that's being told, they use, they're using that as an as an excuse or a focal point for, oh, this means we should use, we can use these characters when we normally might have trouble fitting them in. I'm torn. I am mixed on Kelly. I did like her when we in the fu- in future state. And the Infinite Frontier Zero, I haven't liked her much at all in this book. So that's really all of all I've had. The opportunities I've had to read of her and about her, I've been in those the build up to this book and now this book. So I don't really know how to, one way or the other how I really don't know how I feel about her and where and it made me realize really early when the people who thought she was annoying, like in Young Justice, I saw that early on once we got into the Thorn book. I didn't see that in the infinite frontier and, and the future state story, but I did see that here. So morally, I saw, see if you wanted an innocent view. Yes. So morally is a good character to, to reference because that's exactly who she was. She was just young. She was enthusiastic. She was innocent and carrying on that Zudarian tradition and everything else. It was, it was that the would have, that is your goal to kind of do an innocent character and, and see, have it have it through their fresh eyes and yeah she's the kind of character you use i don't see i don't see kelly in that role and kelly has a lot more baggage i think than somewhere lee so i don't see, think she could fit that uh role either i think ty fam might actually yes. be closer to the kind of character you're looking for kelly to be in that you know it's doesn't ha- he doesn't have the childlike innocence of of uh tomar lee i keep forgetting the name so even much. though we keep saying it so, so lee um, but he's, he's young enough to still have like a kid's perspective on an adult world, but he's also not so young that he's defined by his innocence. And he's been he's popping up more often lately. He's getting a second graphic novel and apparently there's other stuff in the works for him. But um, I want to say I forget if it's if she asked this or if Mark just said it. I think I think the uh, the idea of of you know is this being forced or is it is it the is it editorial calling for it is it the plot calling for it i think it's 
yes to all of them <laughs> because Thorne absolutely wanted to tell a Jon Stewart story. Like this book was always going to be a Jon Stewart story, no matter what editorial told him you are blowing up that battery god damn it you i don't care what you want you, bl- you get rid of it so he did that and then once he had that major plot element as a requirement took a look at like okay well what characters do we have to play with here oh these two characters are green lanterns that don't need the battery well they'll that seems like it would be important to have around when the battery's gone and just kind of went from there so is it forced? Yes, but not. But it's forced from different perspectives at the same time. So I think it might be okay. Double negative. Yes. All right. Do marks. Marks. Uh, I enjoyed your discussion of Green Lantern Six. Maybe Joe feels she must step up and try to be a leader given the immediate circumstances. And when she falls on her face in front of Sinestro, which is borderline, that's Thorn showing that she has much to learn. I do wonder why the art in Green Lantern is so inconsistent where other books like Batman are always good. That's a that's a dangerous analogy to make next to Chad, but <laughs> <laughs> next to any DC fan. Yeah. Well, the art's just inconsistent because that's who they have drawing the book right now. <laughs> yeah, if you have if you have one artist drawing everything and and he's got a really consistent smooth let's say style, he or she, that you're going to have consistency when you don't, when you have mul- either multiple artists or you have an artist who can be hit or miss and at any given panel or page, let alone every, st- every story or issue. Joe, I mean, I Joe stepping. Well, on some level. Yeah. Because again, like we just talked about, it's like putting, it's like putting the dot, putting the, the pieces on the board, the way you want them to be. She, the way the story is written, Joe almost has no choice to take a leadership role. Cause she's the, got the last working ring. Well, we know Hal has a working ring, but you can't use Hal because it's Hal. But the reality is that's that's so it's circumstance that's putting her in that role. So, yeah, but it's just I think our issue when we those of us that have had issues is how she's taken control and the way she's kind of carried herself in that capacity. Not necessarily that, oh, God, I have to do this no matter what, whether I want to or not, because, yeah, she's in kind of in that position. So. She's trying to be responsible and step up. And based on her background, it would make sense, make sense that she would. And I also don't know if she fell on her face in front of Sinestro. Well, metaphorically, <laughs> that, that meeting, that meeting was like the look that I know, you know, I feel confident saying that interaction with Sinestro was the lowest point in the in Joe's entire history as a character. <laughs> it's not a very long history. No, but it's. It's a low point. Yeah. Also, Far Sector is out in trade. Go get it now. <laughs> yes, please. All right. Thanks, guys, for writing in. We appreciate you guys doing that. Uh, we were holding yeah. on to those for a little while because they all reference either Dan or Green Lantern 6 or just the series proper in some way, shape, or form. So. All right. Last but not least, guys, DC Fandom. DC Fandom happened on October 16th uh, over on their website. Uh, also, still, yet again, didn't stream on HBO Max as far as I could tell, which is ridiculous, but whatever. Anyways, it happened, uh, and here is a list of things that happened. Okay, before the event started, there were reaction emojis for people who were waiting for the live to begin, one of which was a Green Lantern reaction emoji. Uh, in the opening statement, there was like, you know, a whole thing talking up DC and what they're, 
you know, history means to the comic industry, blah, 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 blah. One of the sentences said was logos like the S shield and the lantern are immediately recognizable. Uh, when the uh, flu Laborg who plays Javelin in the suicide squad was talking about his character of Javelin. We saw him talking about how the character was introduced in the pages of green lantern. We saw some new footage from the Suicide Squad game, including two shots of the Green Lantern, who is a part of the Justice League that the Suicide Squad is going up against, which is Jon Stewart. So two shots of him, one of him walking down construct stairs towards the Suicide Squad, the other of him with a butt ton of guns. Uh, we saw some fan art of uh, for during DC Fandom during the... Um, segment for the dc super pets film uh, which showcased a green lantern badge and or chip i'm not sure which is supposed to be involved in that film um but we did see a squirrel in this new preview of uh super pets but not in green lantern costume so we might have had our first look at chip and or badge i forget again who's supposed to be in that film uh we also got a more extensive look at the upcoming injustice animated film which is currently available digitally will soon be available in hard copy uh, Hal is a part of Injustice, but from early reviews of people who have seen the digital uh, release of this, Hal kind of gets sidelined pretty soon on in that thing. So don't buy this for Green Lantern content. And last but not least, and the primary reason we're here to, uh, in terms of information that was released in a slew of various upcoming uh, animated features that will be released from DC, one of which was announced in title only Green Lantern Beware My Power. And they de- I I actually missed the fact that that was an animated movie. They did they did say it was an animated feature. It was it was announced in the string of various uh, animated features that will be coming in the future. Okay, cool. I like their I like their animated Green Lantern movies for the most part. They do good by those. My only hesitation with it is honestly the fact that like okay, this is we already have an HBO Max TV show that's supposed to be coming and a, a theatrical movie that's supposed to be coming. And instead of telling us literally anything about either of those, they're adding a third thing to the pile. <laughs> like, like I'm, I'm legitimately happy that this animated feature is coming. Please finish one of these, <laughs> just finish one of them and then do something with the others. <laughs> uh, yeah. To, to that point, uh, this was yesterday. Uh, someone found a quote. I don't know where the source is from, but showrunner Seth Graham Smith of the HBO Max Green Lantern series, quote, it's going to be a while before the world gets to see that, but we are very, very busy at work as we speak. So I'm assuming this was in response to somebody asking him something along the lines of why didn't we see anything about your show during fandom or something like that. I mean that I can res- I can respect that like I would rather they take a long time and do it right than rush it out the door you know but like it's like half the stuff at Fandom didn't have anything to show anyway and it was just so you could have taken like two minutes to just t- address the fact that hey everybody we're still working on Green Lantern so get excited it's gonna be a little bit though so give us time but it's coming you know like the like I can't even remember all the things that they they talk about at like or like the like the flash movie or whatever or like they're like oh man we we've been hard to work on the flash but we don't really have a trailer or anything but here's here's some behind the scenes footage i guess but uh you know stay tuned so like they can do that for 
so many other projects. Why not? Yeah, they did that. They so correct me if I'm wrong, but weren't both Batgirl and um, Blue Beetle announced after? Yeah, Blue Beetle was in. No, they Blue Beetle was talked about on the fandom because they had the one of those weird couch interviews where like a superimposed image is on a TV, but they didn't show any concept art until it was posted after fandom was over, and it looks awesome but why didn't they show it off during fandom no 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 they showed it during fandom i was watching the entirety of fandom live oh well i was too i think i must have glazed over at some point yeah so both the batgirl and the and the uh, blue beetle segments of fandom showcased concept art from both of them one piece of concept art but i'm talking about weren't those projects announced after green lantern was announced oh yeah definitely like the so we got, right? Yes. Yeah. So why didn't we get the same sort of here's what we're shooting for with the feel sort of inter couch interviews that we got? Why didn't we get you know anything? They devoted time. I I was going to like literally time it, but I didn't. They devoted time to that weird King Shark music video. <laughs> yeah. The fuck was that? Uh, you know, whatever. I think the thing that. I was actually most hyped of was the footage from Black Adam. Uh, for, for the record, guys, my complaints about DC fandom are about the lack of Green Lantern. That is not to say that there's not content that was shown during fandom I'm not excited for. The milestone stuff from the announced uh, you know, live action stuff to the upcoming animated feature to the new comics uh, creator initiative to the new books that will be done to the compendium that they're going to release of all the old stuff. Fucking fantastic for all the milestone stuff. The Black Adam footage, I was like, whoa, man, am I so much more excited for Black Adam now. The milestone the- absolutely i'm sorry milestone ha- absolutely had the best showing at the entire event for like, sure it's and it they they did the thing that we want to see all of this be was it propped up and got people excited about the entire multimedia property about the comics about the the like live action stuff about animated stuff about like hey maybe come and help us make it if you're passionate about it like the milestone thing was a microcosm of what i want all of fandom to be yeah but unfortunately you know fandom was what it was honestly guys there were two big announcements that happened over the weekend one was a 20 if in, in terms of stuff i was paying attention to we had four hours of dc fandom and the day before we had 20 minutes from Nintendo about Animal Crossing updates and I cared more <laughs> about I cared more about that 20 minutes than I did the entire compressed stuff that happened during DC fandom but that's neither here nor there. Uh <laughs> no, but I mean they, there was a lot of cool content during DC fandom and we can talk about in detail about, you know, some of the other stuff more later on, but obviously that we're we're focusing here on this the Green Lantern. I was I was really disappointed that we didn't hear anything. I, I know that they probably couldn't have shown anything, but why couldn't have we talked about where we're at with these projects? They could have they could have interviewed some of the people we know that have been cast already. They could have they could have they could have done stuff. It's just again, it's like once again, they put the John they put the John Stewart image, which I kind of you know we I think deep down we all kind of knew it was good. That meant nothing into into pushing it, but that but that builds but that is part of the problem. It builds the expectation that something Green Lantern related, though again, it never made sense it would be related to the show because he's not supposed to be on the show. 
the character. Mm. And we know the movie's stuck in quick, you know, in quicksand because we haven't heard Jack about the Green Lantern movie in probably years now. No, yes, literally years. Yeah, uh, well, we'll be well. It'll be plural in like in January. I think it was like supposed to be in January of like, uh, like it was at the end of 2019 or something that I think we heard John's talking about he was about to submit the script by the end of the year or some bullshit. Uh, so the reality is there was nothing Green Lantern related. I while there was some cool stuff overall, some some things. The over, I've heard a lot of people say that a lot of people were disappointed with Fandom this year certainly compared to last year many people were many people thought fandom sucked if you literally sat there and watched and i didn't sit there and watch i just i just i, had, I had the you're you're a good man chad i had Mark, I think, you're the smartest person on this call because both of us sat here there and watched the whole thing mm-hmm. it was I, I think it was either on variety i think it was a variety link that just updated so it just kept you giving you the update so they were really crappy in the sense that they were going in chronological order, so everything new came to, came at the end until when they did the Batman trailer, and then they put the effing thing in the top. So for the longest time, I well, not the longest, but probably for at least a half an hour, 40 minutes, I didn't even know they'd released the trailer yet because of the fact that I was expecting it to show up at the bottom of the feed, and then they put it at the top. But Black Adam stuff was really good. Didn't see much, but it was good. They could have shown us more in The Flash. I guess they want to make the Michael Keaton full appearance matter more, which I guess... I. I think we can respect that, but it sucks because now that they literally like a week after or this week, they finished filming. Supposedly they finished principal photography on it. So they absolutely could have had something to show us if they wanted to of Michael Keaton in the suit or even Ben Affleck in the suit. That would have been really easy considering it's not like that's a, it's not like we've been waiting years to see Ben Affleck in the back in the bat suit. No, that would have been really easy to do. So that was good. I honestly, I didn't, I didn't watch the, anything with Aquaman because I don't care all that much. I honestly didn't watch the Shazam stuff because I don't care all that much. It was mostly Black Adam. I watched, I watched, I watched the Flash. The Batman trailer for what it was was good. I still don't like the suit, and and Pattinson doesn't doesn't. It's Bruce Wayne. It's Bruce Wayne is hard. Batman is easy. Bruce Wayne is hard, and I don't see him as I don't see him as Bruce Wayne at all. I just don't get. As Batman, maybe he just doesn't look like Bruce Wayne, and I and maybe I'll be convinced and he'll play or come off as bruce wayne more but bruce wayne is really where the challenge in it challenges almost anybody can look halfway decent in the suit we've seen enough examples of that but fandom overall i don't think was well received and the green lantern stuff is like it's par for the course it's like it's and, and about the animated movie you can pretty much take it to the bank that if it's going to feature one green lantern it's not going to be hal <laughs> it may just be an anthology some which it could then hal could be in it but if it's going to feature one Probably a safe bet that Hal won't be the one they'll be featuring. One of the most popular comic books in the Green Lantern line to bear the title Beware My Power is a cover by Neil Adams with John Stewart getting that's the first appearance of John Stewart. The title is called Beware My Power. Yeah, so maybe maybe if yeah. the title is any hint, yeah. which sometimes it is, sometimes it's not. It would be it would let's be honest. It would, if they're gonna feature one just Green Lantern alone, it would make sense it would be John Stewart this, these days. And if it's not, again, probably could be kelly still probably won't be simon that really would be pushing it but it could be you think it could be kelly really <laughs> well actually to be perfectly honest i didn't mean to say kelly i meant to say joe but okay. i still but i but any, anything's pop if they're featuring one all all i'm <laughs> confident about is if they're featuring one green lantern these days and it's going to be a, like a full-length animated movie that's on one green lantern alone I feel really confident it's not going to be Hal. 
I think I mean, one it, most likely is John. Number two is Jessica. Number three is Hal. Yeah, yeah Jessica that's, too. That's yeah. where I am too. Because I mean, if you're not going to do Hal, and I mean, realistically, Hal's already had one animated movie all about him. And two. he, what is it two? I mean, Emerald, Emerald Knights is, he's a POV. Uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, he's he's like the star. Of, he's one of the stars of the framing device. Yeah. Yes, even though it tends. Um, but like he's had he's had his turn in the animated direct-to-video movie things. Like, I I think the safest bet because if you're gonna try and sell somebody an animated Green Lantern movie, John is still one of like probably the most recognizable animated Green Lanterns. And the set the number two bet would be Jessica because. One of the last times Green Lantern showed up in an animated movie was um, Justice League, whatever the title was, that had the Legion in it. Mm-hmm. And she was that basically added her into the JLU. And depending on how that was received, that would be a good test case to make a Jessica solo movie. I actually liked her in that. Yeah, it was a good movie. Yeah, I'd, I'd be fine with I actually would be I would be fine if if it was Jessica, I could be. That would be a happy. That would be a nice happy medium for me, based on other choices. If they pick Jessica, I would be fine with Jessica. In an ideal world, I'd like to see Alan or Kyle, but that's just all right. I think that's about it. Did we have anything else we wanted to talk about? My last note on Fandom is that it was it's completely separate from all the Green Lantern stuff. I found the whole thing super boring and. I should have known right from the start because one of the very first things they did was spend like 10 minutes talking about how Grant Gustin's flash boots are yellow now. Oh and God, I, the and don't get me wrong. They devoted to that shit. I am happy that the flash boots are yellow and I think they should have always been yellow. And I, I I'm just glad they're yellow now, even though it took like eight years or whatever to get here. That's a fucking foot. That is both literally and figuratively a footnote that does not need. You don't need what like they're interviewing multiple people about the fact that the Flash has yellow boots now. And Grant Gustin, God help him. He doesn't care. He and I don't blame him at all. But he's like he's trying. He's trying to meet the comic fans halfway on it. But it's like it's a fucking shoe color. <laughs> that right there. That set. That was the pace setter for fandom for me. <laughs> Well, that also speaks volumes about where the Flash is at that show, too, which we talked about for sure. Yes, I think. Oh, God, I should have I should have just watched Chad's Twitter, which I had open next to me. But I (laughs) I wanted to see if anything cool happened. I wanted to see it in real time. Yeah, I basically had my screenshot tool open the whole time, just right waiting to click on something. So. But before we go into the closing and everything, I just wanted to let people know that I, I did post about this on Twitter today. I got a little bit of a Green Lantern mail call today because over on Twitter or sorry, over on uh, eBay, I've been telling you guys in various episodes, pay attention to eBay because the only benefit right now of nobody giving a shit about Green Lantern is shit is going for cheap. So I now have the latest example for you guys of shit going for cheap. I have the Silver Age issue, Green Lantern number 16, the first appearance of Star Sapphire, Silver Age Star Sapphire. Go watch the video Mosaic Comics posted about the Golden Age Star Sapphire. Um, But I have the first appearance of Star Sapphire, Silver Age Star Sapphire in the Silver Age 
The only thing about this, there's a little bit of water damage on the front in terms of some water spots and stuff like that. And inside, a, obviously, a kid cut out like a coupon or something from this with a pair of scissors, but it does not impact the story on either side of the page. But still, even in that condition, this book often goes for around $200 to $230 in much better condition, even more. You want to know how much my bid, not including tax and shipping on this was? $91. Okay. (laughs) I spent $91 on a a huge key issue for Green Lantern. Nobody cares about Green Lantern right now. Go look at postings on eBay. (laughs) Anybody out there is listening. I'm proving it to you. I have this issue in my hand, an issue, frankly, I thought I'd never own. That is an awesome, that is an awesome get. So <laughs> just FYI. Now you should, you should mail it to me so I can authenticate it for yeah, you sure. and get, yeah, get and I'll, get I'll, back get to right you on. in six, six, eight years. <laughs> okay, yeah, yeah, I'll get right on that. All right, Dan, uh, speaking of them going to watch your video on the golden age star Sapphire, as well as other things, do you want to promote what you've got uh, people where people can find you? Yep. Uh, the channel is mosaic comics. You can go to the youtube.com slash C slash mosaic comics. And it is it's my Green Lantern YouTube channel where, you know, unlike something like the Lantern cast, which is very conversational, it's me by myself talking to a screen like a weirdo. And it's a it's all like kind of analytical video essays come neatly packaged with the actual pages and panels that I'm talking about. So it kind of helps make that point a little better since I don't, so I don't have anybody to bounce off of. <laughs> um, I just recently posted my 50th video where I decided Ooh. to celebrate by making everybody sad and talk about how, how hard it is to be fans of problematic creators works in a collaborative medium. Uh, <laughs> but, but uh, I'm immediately following that up with, a, a, a uh, not, not a deep dive, but just like a celebration of why why I love Green Lantern so much and how I found those same feelings and sensations in a particular anime called Gurren Lagan, which in some very incredibly overt ways is just a Green Lantern anime and you should watch it if you haven't. Uh, but for for that and and like a year and a half of other of a crazy tour around Green Lantern's eight decades of existence, new stuff and old stuff. Go to Mosaic Comics. Hopefully you'll find something there that you like. And if you do, think about subscribing and sharing some videos with other comic fans that you know enjoy this stuff. Well, thanks for coming on the show, man, yet again. Yes. I think a new issue comes out in like, a week or something so i'll be back well schedule wise assuming it doesn't get pushed back it the 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 pushback thing really is making no sense of what stays on its original release date and what gets pushed back but that's neither here nor there uh we won't get into the current state of the comic book industry with in terms of availability of paper and supplies right now (laughs) it seems to be more a shipping issue yeah for most things well i also hear there's a sort there's a shortage of things like uh bags and boards uh, uh, boxes, long boxes, stuff like that as well. So, uh, oh, November sixteenth. Okay, so it yeah. did get pushed back again. 
There we go. All right, Mark, if people want to reach out to us, how do they do so? Lanterncast.com. The email is lanterncast at gmail.com. You can follow us on Twitter and like us on Facebook. Hashtag GLCast to track us down in either one of those places. We're on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Stitcher. So please leave us a positive review on all platforms you listen to us on. Last but not least, if you want to text or voicemail us, 708-LANTERN, 708-LANTERN, and let us know what you think. Good night, everybody. Good night. Good night.